If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Lego Masters Deconstructed. Welcome back to Lego Masters Deconstructed, and we're so excited today to bring you an interview with Jackson and Alex, the champions of Lego Masters Season 2. Yes, it was so much fun chatting to Jackson and Alex, and they gave us a lot of great insights, and we covered a lot, so it's a really good one. Jackson and Alex, our Lego Masters winners, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Tell us, what is it like? finally being crowned the winners and having it all out in the open. It's uh, totally surreal. I'm still really coming to terms with it, to be honest. Um, I think the whole thing was so intense and there were so many really brilliant and talented Lego builders in the competition that I don't think we are, I ever really entertained the idea of coming out on top. And now that we've done it, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, I'm stoked that it's all out there and, and everyone's been really sweet and lovely uh, to us afterwards so it's, it's pretty awesome on top of the world really yeah it's it's been rad i mean like i don't think either of us expected to get anywhere near as far as we did and then we suddenly found ourselves at the end of the competition and and now to win it it's totally unreal so some of the other contestants that we've spoken to earlier in the season said that after they were eliminated they started being recognized and things like that other than winning $100,000, have your lives changed much since the show? Well, I think because of the the COVID situation, um, I haven't been out and about a lot. So it hasn't, <laughs> been, hasn't been crazy different. And I'm back in the office at work again. But there's definitely been a few little things. I had a super weird one today, actually. Um, I got a notification on Instagram that someone had tagged me in something and it was a picture of me walking down the street on my phone. (laughs) Someone was like, saw a famous Lego master in Leaderville and it was, it was very strange. Uh, but I've had a few families take pictures with me in supermarkets and stuff like that. But nothing, <laughs> nothing crazy. Wow. You even told me about that one. It's quite a photo. <laughs> I look like I'm super important. Like I've got somewhere to be. I'm on my phone. I'm like, I'm like but I, I don't know why they didn't just come over and say hi. <laughs> You're just so intimidating. Man, you are like one of the best Lego builders in Australia. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Uh, I, to be honest, like since this whole thing started, I've been out in public like once every three or four days. Um, I'm not working at the moment, so I'm just spending a quite a bit of time at home so I don't think I've had the chance to enjoy the like the uh, spoils of fame as much as Alex might have but there have been a few a few casual recognitions down the supermarket at the park and stuff it's just families wanting to say hi and, and it's all been like overwhelmingly positive as well which has been really nice. I, I did notice uh, the day after the finale aired the Daily Mail posted an article about it and the the quote or the headline said the 29 year old Perth based hipsters now joined last year's winners in the Winners Hall of Fame. Hipsters? I don't know if you guys saw that, but do you think it's fair to describe you guys as hipsters? That seems a little bit out of touch. <laughs> We've got the, the hipster label right from the start, and I'm not entirely <laughs> sure where it came from. We did an interview on Channel 9 on the Perth News in, at 9, and they had down the bottom of the screen, it said hipster masters, and like it was very what? confronting to see. <laughs> um, so uh, honestly, we are about as far from hipsters as you can be. Are hipsters even a thing anymore? <laughs> I'm not even sure so. that that's a thing that people talk about anymore. I don't know. But look, they, 
I'll take it, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys heard, but very early on in the podcast, Parente gave you a nickname. Uh, Parente, would you like to share that? (laughs) It was Jackson and Alex, the Loose Boys from Perth was the nickname we came up with. Jackson and Alex, the Loose Boys from Perth. (laughs) (laughs) I had heard, may I ask? From where that actually came. <laughs> actually, Damien was saying to us, he he sort of seemed to think that loose was maybe not necessarily a positive thing, but I absolutely meant it positively. I was like, I just like, you're sort of just vibing on set. Like you're just hanging out. You're just, you know, <laughs> I wonder if he thought I was criticizing your style or something, which absolutely wasn't the case, but it was just more like a comment on the vibe. Well, I think, um, uh, thank you, by the way, a nickname, any nickname is good. I'll start to get a nickname. Um, but I think Jackson and I, focused really hard on trying to have as much fun as we could and enjoying it as much as possible because uh, I think we did our best work and we were most sort of likable when we were having a good time and I'm sure that maybe that's what you saw that we were just messing around and and not trying to get too stressed Um, and it seemed to work for us Mm, yeah fun is a good antidote to stress yeah I absolutely noticed that Jackson what was what was our team motto Jackson relax and have fun I think that (laughs) was relax and have fun relax and have fun or was it have fun and then relax? I think it was have fun and then relax. I think it was important that we put have fun first. The fun came first. <laughs> and then have fun and the relaxing will follow. I yeah. absolutely <laughs> noticed that, like, especially in that finale when Andrew and Damien and Trent and Josh were just like so stressed and you guys were just having the best time. You like did not even look worried for one second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that there were some story producers that lamented the fact that we didn't look more stressed, but we had a great time. <laughs> um, talking about that final build, uh, if you could redo the finale, would you have built the same thing or was there another idea floating around that was maybe a close contender? Yeah, so, yeah, we had a few ideas that we we developed but that we discarded them pretty quickly. And then when we struck upon the Frank and Fig idea, it just seemed like this great combination of like the the more dark gothic aesthetic that we both are definitely drawn to, um, and then like the the image of a big wooden mini fig flailing its arms in the air was just too funny to let go of. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we just, just had to go with that one. I definitely think if I could have our time again, I would have approached it slightly differently because we blew a fair bit of time oh, yeah. on a few things that uh, were just it probably wasn't time well spent. But it's you know we got. We, we were the winners in the end. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't regret any of it. It seemed to work. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't do any of it differently because we did win. <laughs> I really want to mess with that. <laughs> we've always been curious with the other people we've chatted to about the, the small details in the builds that didn't end up making it into the final TV episode. What were some details in that finale that you wish we got to see more of? Ooh. There was a few in the, um, in the town. Like I think I did a little Romeo and Juliet scene in one of the buildings with a, uh, dude standing at the ground holding flowers up to a, a woman le- leaning out the window. Uh, there was the dude tapping the keg for his for his friend at the front, which they <laughs> they brushed past really quickly, which I, we had a lot of fun with. And also the one bit I think um, that didn't read all that clearly on TV, but we I, mean, I didn't read it all that clearly when he was standing in front of it either, just because we knew it was there, uh, was that the the family in the house that was broken in half was there was four places at the dinner table, but there were only three people. Oh. And the fourth person was in the hand of Frankenfig. He'd been grabbed. But I, it, it just didn't read all that clearly once you, I think if you came at it with fresh eyes. But 
I really like that little detail. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> when you're 28 hours into a build, you just lose all sense of objectivity <laughs> and it's really hard to step back from it and actually assess it uh, with fresh eyes, as you said. I remember we were sort of populating the a, a bunch of it at the end. I, Brickman came along and said something like, oh, there's not enough people in the village and we panicked. Um, and we were throwing down minifigs at the end and one of us had put one of the little scientists in the big hole in the mountain in front of the uh, workshop just sort of left him there to put him pick him up and put him inside later and neither of us got back to him oh. so there's this one scientist just standing in the big opening <laughs> it's very strange it's very out of place but nobody seemed to pay much attention to it so we got away with it i actually kind of love it it's, it's like frank and big just created this massive aperture on the side of the mountain burst through and then this this dude's just kind of potted <laughs> outwards towards the hole, like towards the light just like oh the outside world i'd love to know if there was a team who didn't make it into the finale uh, that you would have loved to verse, who would that have been? Well, I mean, we won, so I, I wouldn't want anyone to have a, a great day and <laughs> take the title at the end. But um, honestly, I would really have loved to have seen what Danny and Tim would have done in the finale. Mm. Um, I know that they have really brilliant minds for creating intricate stories and real fantasy worlds. And I have no doubt that whatever they would have done would have been just amazingly intricate and would have told a really interesting story and been colorful and and i think it would be really awesome to see uh but again if they'd done it they probably would have been us. so <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm definitely going to add to that one um jane Starney. those guys were intimidatingly good from the beginning um and they had a really unfortunate stumble halfway through which uh, as we all know sent them home but i would have loved to see what they do with their finale because like they just had this like excellent blend of of Lego technical knowledge and then like great aesthetic detail and eye for design. And um, they were like a really unstoppable team, I think. Although like, yeah, again, part of me is glad that they weren't in the finale because I'm sure that they would have beaten the pants off us. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Jane Starney, one of their builds that really shunned was the tall tower build. How sore were your fingers after you built that big tower? Like that must've been a couple of days of recovery, surely. My hands were so cramped afterwards. I mean, we went, we went really hard for eight full hours. We, we couldn't stop. We couldn't afford to stop. We had Brickman and Hamish both doing the maths and being like, no, you're not going to get there. (laughs) So we were flat out and it hurt. It hurt a lot. And there wasn't a lot of time to recover from memory. So we had to fight through the, the pain and the aches. Yeah. I remember the next day we just dove straight into next build and we, we were paying for that one. I remember being really sore all over because the, the thing was the higher that we got up the ladder, like the more, the more muscles you had to engage, like the more your core strength was working out. Like you were just like leaning over this thing, stretching and like trying to like carry a bit up and down. It was an ordeal and we, uh, we definitely took, I, I think I took like a whole week to recover fully. Speaking of Brickman, for the gingerbread house, the Hansel and Gretel build that you guys did, at the start of that, Brickman came over, heard your concept and straight away was like, that's a 16 hour build and you don't have 16 hours. Is that really intimidating or is that kind of motivating? It's pretty terrifying when Brickman tells you it's going to take way longer than you think. <laughs> it's funny though, through the whole season, we, I don't think we got any better at sort of predicting how long it would take us to do something. <laughs> we tried our best to manage time, but you'd like, it's funny the things that would just like come out of nowhere and you'd get totally stuck on. But one of the things that we tried to do with a lot of our builds was that we tried to include elements that were really easily scalable, that we could pull back if we were running out of time. And the gingerbread house 
the scalable element in that one was the forest around the house. And so we had in our original plan, a full dense forest all the way around it. And we knew that if we had two framing trees at the front, that was going to do most of the work and we could afford to lose the forest up the back. So when he said that's going to take 16 hours, uh, it was definitely nerve wracking, but I think Jackson and I knew straight away that we had a lot of space to move in that one. Um, and that we were pretty comfortable we could pull it off in 12. Right. So do you guys have a specific process for each build? Like when you get the brief, do you uh, every time kind of split it up and it's like Jackson will work on this, Alex will work on this element or is it kind of just dependent on each build? Yeah, I think it's totally dependent upon each build. Like we both have individual strengths and we both have like, you know, stuff that we can both tackle. So I think it really depended on what the build was as to how we would allocate the specific tasks. I think we, we both just sat down at the beginning of each build after we finished our brainstorm and part of our planning was to try and allocate like who would be the most efficient use where, you know, where we could, like Alex said, where we could scale it back, like where we could both work on things together. Alex consistently did a fantastic job of all the technique side of things um, with his engineering knowledge. He definitely picked up a lot of slack there where like I probably wasn't as strong. Um, and I like to think that I was helpful doing the aesthetic and design side of things, like the more visual kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that having individual strengths worked really well for us, for sure. So as, as a quick peek behind the curtain, when Zoe and I are planning for these interviews, we have a list of questions that we both contribute to with some things we could talk about. I've just noticed that Zoe's written here, if Lego Masters was individual, which one of you would win? And it just feels like she's trying to cause a fan. <laughs> uh, probably Jackson. <laughs> definitely Jackson unless it was some sort of structural challenge and I might have him there <laughs> maybe with the motors I reckon I could make something move better but I mean Jackson's the artist he's the one with the real eye for it and you can see it in the um in the final build like the detailing on Frankenfig and in the workshop I really think that's what got us over the line and that was Jackson's real style and um oh uh, yeah I was very fortunate to have him as a teammate oh thanks mate right back at you oh thank you <laughs> I feel, I feel I feel like yeah I feel like it totally depends upon the challenge. Like uh, Jackson's um, like yes, it's true. I would win. <laughs> and next question. <laughs> oh no, he agrees. Not fair though. <laughs> so we read in an article that you guys saw the first season and decided that you would train for 12 months and apply for the second season. Is that right? Is that how it worked? Well, I I loved the first season. I watched it religiously. Just, I thought it was so much fun. It really came out of nowhere and was just this real breath of fresh air in the reality TV space. And I remember thinking, I would really love to do this, but I need a teammate. Oh, of course, Jackson. He is you know, he's brilliant and I know he loves Lego. And I remember we were out to dinner one night and I said across the table like, with, with a bunch of mates and I was like, oh, Jackson, do you want to apply for Lego Masters? And he goes, yes. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> he had no idea what it was. And then we, we just started, like, we just got together one night and did the application form, just sort of, like, gave it a shot. We barely finished it. And then next thing we knew, we were filming. Or, like, we'd been accepted onto the show, and then we are like, oh, no, we better learn how to do all this stuff. And then we set up, like, a full, like, brick pit at Jackson's studio, and we, like, set out this rigorous schedule of, of areas that we needed to work on and, and things that we needed to learn how to do. And we hit it really hard, but we both sort of, it ran out of time because our schedules are pretty full on before we went to film. And um, yeah, we went in, we jumped straight in the deep end, I think. So something that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is Brickman being the only judge. 
Um, and you might have heard we've got a stealth campaign going for Annie to be a judge for season three. Jen's talked about wanting to come back for season three to like hype people up in the brick pit. If you guys could be a part of season three, maybe like as an advantage, like the Flash Geordie brick, what do you reckon your strength would be or what you could, what could you guys help with? I feel like the obvious one for me would just be to help you sketch out your ideas. Like they gave us iPads this year, uh, which was really great because I'm very familiar with the drawing programs in the iPad due to using a lot for work. Um, and it definitely came in handy with a lot of our builds. Uh, just being able to like photograph your, your table and visualize what you're trying to build through drawings and sketches. Um, yeah. If I was to bring like a, novelty advantage to season three <laughs> that would probably be it <laughs> uh yeah i think that one makes a lot of sense the jackson brick he'll sketch out your idea i, I think i would watch that <laughs> i don't know what i would bring to it to be honest i think my real strength in the season was puns um and i don't know how useful <laughs> those are for season three i mean i guess i could just mess around with hamish but i mean he's so good at that you don't need me there so um, <laughs> i'm not sure i mean i i'd love to come back please have me but i don't know what i'm gonna do was it real talk was it actually really distracting having hamish around while you're trying to build because <laughs> it looks distracting we kind of learned early on that when uh hamish or Brickman was at the table that you couldn't really get anything done so uh we sort of just really enjoyed it whenever hamish came over you just you know have a laugh with him and, and it, if anything it was a really good way to lighten the mood i think you get bogged down in it sometimes and there'd be long periods of of silence and intense building and the stress you know building up and then Hamish would come along and just have a good laugh and then you feel stoked and ready to, to kick on with the rest of the challenge. Yeah, he's just so good at making you laugh and even in the most stressful inconvenient moments, I think Alex and I definitely, definitely felt like that was like, it really brought our vibe up. Like it was inconvenient for sure, but like, <laughs> he's just so funny, you can't help it. All right, guys, I want to talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys particularly Star Wars fans at all? It was sort of hard to get a gauge on the show as to you probably weren't quite Trent level, but like, were you on that spectrum? I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm up there. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So I then have sort of two questions. So my first question is obviously you guys uh, picked a dark side brick. If you had picked one of the other ones, did you have any ideas as to what you would have built? You know what? I, I think we were both so set on picking a dark side minifig that I mean, I don't know about you, Alex, but I definitely didn't even entertain the idea of getting a light side minifig. No, I didn't. I didn't either. My heart was set on the dark side straight away and we just got really lucky with picking the minifig. So I was first up to do the minifig pick, pulled the little Darth Vader minifig and we were off and running. I barely entertained the, the light side and who knows about the middle? Like we would have had no idea what to do. I think doing a pod racer, a pod racer would have been rad. Oh yeah, that would be yeah. cool. <laughs> and that, that sort of leads me to my other question, which I personally found it confusing to try and divide the Star Wars universe up into like just light side and dark side. Just because like, yeah. you know, for, for you guys, like the Empire obviously has a very different aesthetic to the First Order, which has a very different to like, you know, the Trade Federation, for example, all the sort of bad guys in the various films. Was it tough to kind of choose what era you were talking about and what era Brickman would like? Or did you just sort of go, all right, the Empire is the classic, we'll just go straight to them? I think, uh, once again, Jackson and I were drawn very, very quickly to the Empire. Like, it was, I think because the aesthetic was so distinct, you know, you can picture the TIE Fighters and the Star Destroyers Mm, and, like, those, the aesthetics and the the colours and the shapes are really clear. And we knew that that was what was going to be the difference in, in designing your own Star Wars ship because it was a terrifying, terrifying space to work in. I remember like 
being having really mixed emotions when they announced that challenge because I was like, this is so cool. I can't believe we're doing Star Wars. But then I felt like the weight of every Star Wars fan on my shoulders and I thought, oh, no, we, we are doomed here. <laughs> and it was really scary. And, like, the line we had to walk was trying to be inspired by the shapes and the colours of the ships that already existed but not to just rip them off. And it, oh, it was it was a really tough line to walk. And But I think the Empire suited what we wanted to do. And also, from my perspective, I mean, because it was the Empire was the, the late 70s and the 80s, they were kind of clunky, the ships and the designs. And I thought that might help us get away with a slightly clunky ship that we would make. <laughs> <laughs> I think both me and Alex, when we think Star Wars, we think Imperial Design. And we... We sat down and brainstormed that one for a little while and we kind of picked all our favourite ships and like tried to identify like the key design features, like the right angles, like the right shapes, the right colours and textures. And I think the Empire out of all of them is just the most distinctive, I think. Like everything else is kind of like a bit of a, like I feel like everything else within the Star Wars universe is kind of an, an offshoot of those original films and the fantastic design work that went into them. And every, they're like the foundation of, of everything that followed. And so when I think like Star Wars Dark Side, I think like Empire, long hallways with glass, um, you know, sharp angles, triangles, uh, that kind of thing. I, I think both of us were pretty happy with where we landed on that one, but we cut it super fine at the end and there were a few really rough edges on that build that um, I, I would love to do that one again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one, one thing I will say about that build though uh, is that we did some awesome design work, detailed stuff, like in the cockpit section, which unfortunately didn't make the cut, um, which I was super proud of. Um, we did like a long hallway with like a real officer marching down it and like the pilots below ground level um, and like all the little, those empire control panels with the flashing lights and stuff. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't make the cut. I feel like we need to get Channel 9 to, like, send you all the footage they took of all your builds so that you can just, like, re-watch it and, like, look at all what it was. Because so much, like, obviously gets cut from the show. They can't show everything. But, like, this is, like, something that everyone said has been, like, oh, there was this amazing detail of this build, but it got cut. And I, I just want to, like, see everything. <laughs> Yeah, I remember listening to the season one contestants saying the same things. And I was like, oh, there can't be that much. And then lived it and went, oh, there's all this stuff that people didn't get to see. But I feel like like Trent and Josh got away with it a bit more because their builds were simple concepts and simple stories. So they were bigger shapes and mm-hmm. you could spend more time looking at it and appreciating it. But when you sink like little minifig details into the back of a build, like it was never, never going to make the final cut. There's just no time. You'd need hours. Now, when you look back across all the things you ended up building across the course of the show, is there one that stands out as your favorite overall? Yeah, definitely Hansel and Gretel. I just loved it. I was. I think we were both super proud of it and we keep coming back to it whenever people ask this question. I think it was just really like everything that we wanted to do with Lego. It was like bright and colourful on the outside and, and played into those like the, the, the bright childish side of Lego, but also it was super dark and medieval and kind of grim on the inside. And we sort of went about as far as we thought we could go with uh, the macabre on the inside of it. And it was just like, I loved that contradiction and I loved the the way that it came together and was framed by those trees. I just think it looked so much better than we thought it was going to when we came up with the idea. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't stop thinking about that build. I found out recently that someone in Perth won it and it's on its way over here and I'm hoping that they'll invite me to look at it. Yeah, so Lego Masters ran, they ran a competition during the show where they were getting kids to build 
or fa- people to send in builds to meet a brief that was going out each day and they picked one winner at the end and they've gotten the bull rider Hansel and Gretel and Damien and Andrews um, art gallery from the night and day one. All three of those builds are being freighted over to them here in WA. That's wild. Oh my gosh. It's nuts. It's a lot of Lego. <laughs> yeah. It's a hell of a lot of Lego. Wow. Do you feel the same, Jackson? Is that your favorite one? Oh yeah. 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 I feel like you just answered the question for both of us. Like the Hansel and Gretel build was hands down both of our favorites. Like Alex just said, it just incorporated everything that we both love about Lego and just the kind of aesthetic work that we both love as well. Um, and I just had so much fun decorating the outside of that gingerbread house, like getting all sorts of weird parts, you shoots going like WPU, if that's a thing, just like <laughs> croissants, sausages and stuff. And, and, and it was, it was probably like some, one of the best, the funnest builds that Alex and I had as well we nearly didn't finish it as well that roof nearly didn't go on oh that, yes. that wasn't edited that was legit it literally barely went on oh with my the God. Ball time yeah into. that's true actually <laughs> it was because it was the roof like wasn't quite sitting properly and this is like 30 seconds to go and i was like fiddling with it and i was like i know that in my in, in my heart i know that if i just i just like push it the right way it's going to click into place um and it was literally in the last three seconds that it did so oh my gosh but he pulled it. You pulled the whole roof off with like five minutes to go, and I I knew at that point that there was nothing I could do. And I remember walking into the brick pit and just standing in there. Oh I yeah, I, I had to remove myself. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was awful. That was when you went and sat down in the brick pit. <laughs> yeah, I left. I couldn't do it. You didn't need my hands, and I was just making it worse. <laughs> so, on the flip side of that question, was there a build that you look back on that you're just like, nah, that was bad. I wish we didn't do that. <laughs> Well, I think the one that I'm least proud of is definitely was the two-hour tower challenge, but they didn't even show our finished one, so it doesn't matter. Jackson and I failed that one miserably, but it was such a short thing and it was just a bit of fun, so we was able to put that to bed. But um, I don't know. I'm pretty happy with all of them. I think maybe the first one, the steampunk um, power station, was a little bit chaotic, I think, and we didn't have a clear vision for it and it didn't have a clear viewing perspective, and I think it suffered for that, but we learned that lesson from that build. So it was valuable in its own way. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really elegant parts of this whole, the way this whole competition structured is that each build really is designed to teach you something. And that first build, like 15 hours, essentially is build whatever you want within a very loosely defined set of parameters. I feel like that they definitely recognize that when you get thrown in the brick pit for the first time, it's pretty overwhelming and you've got to flounder for a little bit before you actually find your feet and start to swim. So it's very forgiving that first challenge. Actually, what are your uh, at-home Lego stock like? Because we recently found out that when you guys were shown the brick pit, Stani was not even impressed. Like he's already got all the Lego that he was just like, mm, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the, man, he showed us like photos and videos of his Lego room. And, and it, yeah, it is comparable to the brick pit. It's absolute nuts. Um, I'd say... Uh, if I had to throw a number on it, I'd probably say around 150,000 pieces in my collection. I've got this big old antique wooden desk that has about 25 drawers in it. And oh, my God. I converted that into like a little Lego storage unit. Um, and all the drawers, I can sort of sort all the Lego by category in all the different drawers and have it all contained within one piece of furniture. <laughs> yeah, my collection is not even nearly as impressive. <laughs> I, um, I have all the sets that I've collected since I was a kid, but I, unlike Jackson, I, I can't bring myself to mix them together. So they're all meticulously <laughs> separated into their original sets and I refuse to mix them. 
Um, so <laughs> I don't know what my future is with Lego building, but I'm probably going to have to acquire some. Um, I've had heaps of people tell me about their like, I've got this massive tub of Lego from when my kids were little and they never use it anymore. I reckon if I can suss a bunch of people that have those tubs and want to get rid of them, I could start my own assorted Lego collection and build my own brick pit, but I've got, I've got a way to go. Yeah. My family is definitely our Lego collection from when we were kids is literally just like a bag with like a tie on the top. That's just like a couple kilos of like (laughs) all the Lego we ever had. Like you would hate it. It's so assorted. (laughs) (laughs) We, we learned from our practicing before we went to film the show that sorting Lego is like, it takes so long mm. and you have to develop a system and it, it's, it's quite a long process to sort Lego. So when I see a big tub of mixed Lego, I definitely get a little, get the heart palpitations and think of all the work that needs to be done to sort it. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us today, guys. And thanks for being so generous with your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for having us. You're listening to Lego Masters. Deconstructed. That interview was so fascinating, particularly because they gave us so many details about the actual building and like the real nitty gritty of how they got that done, which we haven't heard much before. It's really interesting. Yeah. I loved hearing more about the process and how they kind of break down each build and work together. That was really fun. I'm also really relieved that me constantly calling them the loose boys from Perth wasn't accidentally offensive, which I very recently started to worry about, but it seems like we're in the clear. (laughs) So I think it's all good. Yes. They like our nickname, which is really good because we have an intro for them and everything. So I was really hoping (laughs) that they would like it. Thanks so much for listening to Lego Masters Deconstructed, Australia's only Lego Masters podcast. Feel free to go back and listen to all the episodes we've done so far. We have an episode for every TV episode of the show, and we have a bunch of interviews with pretty much everyone. Take a listen to those. We've also got a couple more coming up with anyone who you haven't heard yet. So look, whoever you like, there's going to be an interview with them. It'll be great. (laughs) As always, if you want to get in touch with us or send us any questions you have for the people we haven't interviewed yet or just any thoughts, feels, hit us up on Instagram. My handle is zoepeck underscore. And mine is at parente swag king. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.